What is up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! Was that a superhero, Show Me the Meaning, Raymond? Is that what that one was? I, I think it was a, uh, we've been away for a while, and <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find my vocal cords again, <laughs> Show Me the Meaning. Alright, we're gonna do some vocal warm-ups. As Raymond is warming up his voice, I'll introduce the team. I am Austin Hayden-Smith, and joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew, we have a, a not-quite-warmed-up, but, you know, he's getting there, Raymond... That's me. And we have our very own Wonder Woman, Wisecracks Wonder Woman, Amanda is joining us. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> Look, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, as I just gave away, that's what we're going to be talking about this week. I don't know, should we say that it's the film that is kicking up a bit of a shitstorm online? We're going to be talking about the sequel to the very well-received Wonder Woman, which is the not-as-well-received Wonder Woman 1984 which is directed by Patty Jenkins, starring Gal Gadot. Is that how you appropriately say it? Say it with a T, right? I think it's Gadot. Gadot. Oh. Dot. Is it Gadot? We all have. We all have oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was Gadot, but I've, I've heard. I've people heard Gadot. I've also heard Gadot. I've heard. I feel yeah, like I, the I think, T's silent. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I think I've heard her actually say it's like you, you actually say the T. But it, listen, correct us if you have an interview where that is, listeners, and let us know. But uh, Gal, uh, Godot or Godot or Godot is, star- is starring as Wonder Woman. Of course, the uh, also equally lovely Chris Pine. And the funny, it's funny that you have Kristen Wiig, who is a, a really stunning woman, and she's the like nerdy, unattractive one. Right? Like, it's funny that that's how deep... I have a lot deep, of thoughts on that, yeah. Yeah, that, that's how deep yeah, Hollywood classic goes. classic 80s movie fashion that's just uh, yeah. very anti-frizzy hair and people with glasses. It's <laughs> also, like, not to get into a tangent, but it's it didn't bug me so much that they were... It was more that they were like, she's so unlikable. And I'm like, there's literally nobody more likable than this woman in the world. Anyway. Uh, right. I know. So Chris, yeah, she's, Chris, I, I like Kristen Wiig a lot. Kristen Wiig, and then, of course, Pedro Pascal with his over-the-top performance. So, okay, listen. This film has been getting a, a, a lot of shit online, or at least it's kicked up a lot of dust, as I said earlier. So let's get into some of the first impressions. I don't know how many times you've seen this film. I've only seen it once now. I mean, obviously, it's a fresh film. So but let's get into first impressions, and then we'll get into a recap, and then we'll kind of start to delve into this film. Amanda, let's start with you. Give us at least a taster of some of your thoughts. Okay, so I actually watched it twice, not out of desire, but because I was writing our Wisecrack video about it, which I think comes out like next Friday or something, so check it out. Cool. Both times were a bummer. Um, (laughs) The first time was maybe more of a... It it just... I, I was just bummed out. You know, the action scenes were boring. The story was incomprehensible. The pacing was way wonky. I just... It just... I was just, like, bummed. Yeah. Real quick, can I just ask a follow-up before we get through this? Yeah. Bummed because of the high expectations based of the first film? More so because I feel like a bad female superhero film becomes can mm. become like a warrant to like not make more superhero films or yeah. you know, it, it's like it's so tenuous when you're just finally starting to see female superhero films that you want them to all be as good as the first Wonder Woman. Um, I didn't necessarily have like huge expectations, but um, I I guess I just thought it would be competent with that much money going into it. But obviously that's probably absurd given like, yeah. And of course that's big. Yeah. That's a little bullshit too, that there's so much pressure that the female superhero film always has to hit it out of the park. Whereas there are clearly plenty of mediocre or less than mediocre dude-led superhero film so it just kind of sucks that that pressure oh, is kind of on sure. the shoulders yeah of this particular ton of thoughts about that and just yeah. just <laughs> female-led and female-directed films in general typically i mean uh, women get uh, far fewer chances at the bat than men do behind the camera you know a, a guy's movie comes out and flops well that's just a flop but like uh, amanda was kind of alluding to if a, a female-led movie comes out and flops and everyone in the industry goes oh people don't like movies with ladies or directed by ladies and it does feel very unfair that this franchise kind of has to carry the entire burden of expectations for uh, female superheroes in general um, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty more stuff that we can delve into with this, especially since Amanda has immersed herself in writing a script. I'm sure she has many, many, many thoughts about this. So let's hold off on those and let's go to Raymond for first impressions. 
Um, boy, I I don't I don't have much better to say than Amanda. <laughs> um, I really liked the first one. I also, uh, you know, back when theaters were open uh, here, I saw Birds of Prey in theaters, and I thought Birds of Prey was really good. And I I thought to myself like maybe DC's kind of figuring this out. I also really liked Shazam. Um, and man, oh man, this just, this felt like such a letdown. And I'm a big Wonder Woman fan. I've got my, my Wonder Woman mug here. I'm sipping some tea. Um, you know, I'm, I was all excited. I, I, I curled up, uh, with my girlfriend, uh, a little bit after Christmas or around New Year's so we could do a double feature of the, uh, the first one and then right into this one. And I had heard some of the, the chatter online and I, I was kind of like, well, let's give it a fair shake. In the first 15 or 20 minutes, I was thinking to myself, well, why, why is everyone hating on this? I, I thought the, the first few sequences, the, the one on the island was a lot of fun. Um, if maybe a, uh, they, they may have missed a, a few opportunities here and there, but uh, then I, I thought the first action sequence at the mall was, was really charming. It, it reminded me of like the, the Christopher Reeve Superman movies where... Uh, she's kind of like the n- friendly neighborhood Wonder Woman, and she she goes in and saves some folks. And uh, you know, at one point, she turns to a little girl and winks at her. And in like, I I like that stuff. It may be cheesy, it may, it may be uh, it may be goofy, but I think there's a place for that. And I I was thinking to myself, wow, if it keeps down this road and you know and goes like more more sort of down the barrel sort of Superman type flick, I was I was really ready to enjoy it. And then I think it just it all kind of fell apart. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess I echo the sentiments. Here's the thing. I went in with really, really low expectations because I had heard so much crap about this film. So I went in being like, this is going to be just a dumpster fire. And I actually think it was the opposite for me. I thought it started off too cheesy. Right, and I wasn't. Oh, yeah. I wasn't in the mood for cheese. I don't think I was in the mood for. I thought Wonder Woman, the the first film, actually had a lot of depth, richness, some really interesting and powerful themes throughout. Um, so I was kind of expecting something. I don't know, maybe a little bit more, to, for lack of a better term, like philosophically rich. And so then this film starts, and I'm like, oh, this is just going to be like just kind of like cheesy, sentimental. Like, from the opening sequence, it's like, truth, Diana, like, that will prevail. I was like, Jesus Christ, are you going to beat us over the head with the capital T of truth thing and, like, the sentimentality of that? I was like, oh. I was like, okay. I was like, I'm going to give it more of a fair shake. So I kept watching. And then the whole Steve embodying the body of that other dude, I was like, Jesus, man. I was like, I was like, it's Truly so bizarre. weird. I was like, and so essentially she's sleeping with this dude who has like this body, but who's, the, who's the guy? Like the, where'd his soul go? Like, I don't, I, like, I'm kind of, I, I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. And then I thought, Ma- I thought Max, the bad guy, I thought his, his, his performance was just over, uh, overblown. And, um, then I thought it was just really heavy handed with the themes and overly sentimental and I don't know. And then I got a little teary eyed at the end and it actually got me. And it actually left me with a happy, sentimental, cheesy warmth in my heart. So all of my grumpiness and whatever else, it melted me by the end. So all of this shit that I'm saying kind of faded away because I don't... (laughs) Because you love Christmas. Because I love Christmas. (laughs) Because I just have some sort of positive affective attachment to this film. So I really have no clue what to think of this film. Is it good? No, not at all. It's a bad film. But, you know, I kind of got a little emotional. So what are you going to do? All right. Now, let's jump into the recap. And then on the other side of this, uh, Raymond and Amanda can continue to give me shit for being a sentimental sap. All right. Oh. <laughs> a little. A little. Okay. So, Wonder Woman 1984. The story begins with a young Diana Prince competing in a race against older Amazons. Diana falls from her horse, and with guts and determination, she takes a shortcut to catch up to the others. However, because she attempted to cheat, she's removed from the competition and given a lecture on how cheating is bad and truth is all that matters. Huge theme alert here. We jump to 1984, where Diana is doing the classic dual identity superhero thing, working in the Smithsonian in D.C. while also doing her Wonder Woman thing to save people. She introduces herself to the nerdy Barbara, who's new to the museum and just wants to make some friends. 
Some stolen artifacts get brought into the museum by the FBI, and Diana and Barbara bond over talking about them. One of the artifacts is the Dream Stone. The inscription on the stone reads that anyone who holds it can have one wish granted to them. Naturally, Diana casually wishes for her BF Steve Trevor, boyfriend, Steve Trevor, to come back to life. After being assaulted, Barbara also makes a wish, and hers is to be like Diana, strong and that everyone like her and things like that. Failing businessman Max Lord visits the Smithsonian, pretending to be a wealthy donor, and charms Barbara so he can gain access to the Dreamstone. Diana picks up on the connection between Max and the stone and attends a gala at the Smithsonian to investigate, and there she bumps into a man whose body has been inhabited by the soul of her deceased lover Steve, and they rekindle their romance. Meanwhile, Max seduces Barbara so that he can get the stone, and once it's in his possession, he makes his single wish that he would become the Dreamstone itself, given the power to grant anyone's wish while also taking from them what he wants while giving them a wish. Now, that's a two-parter, by the way. Is that kind of wish allowed that you get the two-part? I don't know. Okay, we'll get into that. Anyway, he gets wealthy and powerful because of this and becomes a super bad guy. Now, Diana and team later find out that the stone was actually created by the god of lies and mischief, and as such, it exacts a toll unless the wish is renounced or the stone is destroyed. Diana's power begins to diminish, and Barbara's humanity dwindles, but neither, of course, is willing to give up their wish just yet. And then Max, his body begins to deteriorate, and again, he's not willing to give up his wish because he's the most powerful human in the world. But eventually, Steve convinces Diana to renounce her wish and let him go so that she can save the world, and she knows that it's the right thing to do, so she accedes, she renounces her wish, and then she rocks this badass Amazon warrior armor of Asteria and goes to kick some Barbara butt, who is fully transformed into Cheetah, and they have a big old fight. Of course, Diana defeats Barbara eventually and then confronts Max with the lasso of truth so that she can communicate to the entire world through him, convincing them to renounce all their wishes. They do that. Things start to get back to order. Then she shows the toll that Max's power is having on his son. He has a change of heart. See how I got a little teary-eyed? Change of heart. The world is coming back to order. And that causes Max to renounce his wish as well. And then everyone comes back together. And then the world is happy. And then the film closes with Diana meeting the man whose body Steve possessed. I don't know. Are we meant to assume that they rekindle or that they kindle up some sort of thing? I don't know what the deal is, but anyway, that happens. And then the audience also learns that Asteria is secretly living among humans, perhaps foreshadowing the next film. That's the end of the film. Now, before we jump into the uh, analysis of the film, we want to give a shout out to one of our sponsors for this episode, Skillshare. Look, we've talked about Skillshare a lot on this. Skillshare is a great online learning resource. It is a community of people, of uh, creatives, like-minded people that offers a membership with meaning. So no matter what 2021 brings, are we going to continue lockdowns? Are you going to be able to get out? We don't know. It's a difficult year. We love you. But one of the things you can do is you can spend some time creating something meaningful, something that lights your soul ablaze with the online classes that Skillshare offers. Uh, as I said, Skillshare is an online learning community and it offers membership to people so that you can explore real projects to create and you can connect with other fellow creatives. Skillshare basically empowers you to accomplish the real growth that you have set for yourself. Now, some new classes that they are super excited to share are DIY product photography, Plants at Home, with the subtitle that I love, Uplift Your Spirit and Your Space. And I just want to say that that is not in any way cheesy. I freaking love it. Plants bring so much life to you. So bring some plants and some life inside your home. It's a wonderful thing. So you can check out that course. They have another one called Creativity Unleashed that is new. And then one that really appeals to me because I suck at taking photographs on my phone but it's one on iPhone photography. I swear to God, I've even tweeted about this. I don't understand why other people, when they take photos with the same damn phone, it looks like professional photos, but I do the thing and I use all the filters and I can never get the same quality. I just have like dumb iPhone fingers. I don't know what it is, but uh, they have a new one that will be helpful for you for that. Uh, it'll definitely be helpful for me. So if you want to bring a little color and beauty and fun to your year, 
Uh, you can explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash SMTM, as in show me the meaning. So that's Skillshare.com slash SMTM, and you get a free trial of their premium membership. So that's Skillshare.com slash SMTM. Now, let us get into some analysis of Wonder Woman 1984. First thing, I'm not even going to lob a question out there. Amanda, I'm just going to open the floodgates up and say... Please pass through with all of your knowledge and your wisdom. What do you have to share with us? I feel like I'm just going to obsess about the same thing that you brought up, which is Chris Pat Pratt is in this guy's body. Chris Pine. Oh my God, sorry. Of, God damn the it. They're all yeah. the same. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. The four Chris's <laughs> always screw me up. Okay, Chris Pine is in this guy's sure. body. Where did this guy go? Is he in like a white man's sunken place? Is like... <laughs> Is is he just like on a vacation? It's like existentially concerning. It's also raises a lot of issues about consent. Like it's very, very bizarre. And the weirdest like the problem is that like Diana is supposedly this harbinger of morality. She's like the best person ever. And she's telling the whole world that they have to be better. And yet she's like Okay, this guy's body is on vacation. This guy's like mind, soul is on vacation while I am with my boyfriend. It just it makes no sense. It's so weird. And the fact, and actually, a big part of the video spoiler is that I think what could have been more interesting is if the fact that her boyfriend could come back to life, but it would mean like resigning some other man to like some weird soul underworld for a while like that that would be on her might be a more interesting conflict but instead they're just like we're not going to deal with this it's it's just so weird yeah and it it's also bizarre given the fact that like this wishing stone can manifest a wall in the middle of the desert like you could just have chris pine come back you don't need to right uh, when when the guy when the guy jokingly takes the stone and he goes i wish i had a coffee a person magically shows up with a coffee i don't they don't cut to someone else being like where the fuck did my coffee go or what it's just it's so weird that given the fact that you can just wish something into existence why not just bring him back why do you have to put him it's such an unforced error why do you put him into somebody else's body at all except for i think it's legitimately i think the reason they do it is so that they two things they can have him come up and surprise her by like putting the watch in her hand and whisper the thing from the first movie that i would not have even remembered if i hadn't just watched the first movie again and then later on when they're raiding his closet and they do the fun little 80s costume change montage uh where you know he's the, maybe the one line in the movie that i really really like is when he has the american flag fanny pack on he goes an american issue bag and he's all excited about it and stuff <laughs> like chris pine is pretty charming i think he's a good actor i think he's funny in this and he's he's really good in the first one too but it is just it's so bizarre to just be like and you're in this dude's body now and everyone else's wishes doesn't I I know that there's a give and take to everything, but they don't do anything with that. Like the the take when she's given Chris Pine is that her powers start to leave. They don't scrutinize the thing with the other guy at all. Right, and that's actually what the whole the whole video I wrote is about, which is that the monkey paw as like a, as like a the, as like a thematic trope through like since it was written as a short story in I think 1911 is that like you get something but narratively as a result you lose something and there's no like narrative to diana losing her powers because chris pine comes back to life like yeah it just happens there's, it's just like a wave it, of a wand yeah the monkey's paw thing is always like the dark side of your wish yeah. is how it comes true essentially and when they wish in the original story when they wish their son back to life they just hear a knock on the door and they're too mortified by the thought of what might be waiting on the other side they just don't answer right it. and i know that you can't bring chris pine's shambling corpse out of a grave because that that is i would say outside the boundaries of good taste for a big budget action movie that's supposed it would to be fun to kids and families it would be fun <laughs> but you could still do something with that that like chris pine comes back and and here's here's the thing for all the baffling choices that this movie makes, I think there is a world in which it could make sense that I think a lot of hay has been made about how it's crazy for her to use her one wish on bringing back this guy that she knew for a week 70 years ago. But 
If you are a goddess among men, and your entire existence for the past 50 years has been totally isolating, and you have to move from city to city, and you, you can't connect with anyone because after 10 years they recognize you haven't aged at all, like, that would be a very lonely and isolating existence. The movie doesn't explore that at all, but if it had, her wishing for the one person she ever felt like a real human connection to might make a little bit more sense. And then when he comes back, you could play with the, the notion that she is slowly realizing like oh no this was just a moment in time and we have these beautiful memories but we can't i can't force that back and i have to accept that humanity is imperfect like you could still do the dark side of it in a way that was more morally resonant but instead it's just like oh no i'm a little bit weaker when he's around and i'd really like to kick this cheetah's ass so are you saying that you wanted to see her pining after pining for pine yeah I I mean I already was bugged by the fact that like she's still like it's what like 50 50 years later 60 something uh, whatever decades later she hasn't found a man who could somehow be understanding that she's an Amazonian goddess I don't know I I'm like that that kind <laughs> especially of especially when <laughs> when you consider too like, even acknowledging that the world has been outwardly hostile towards women for forever, I'm sure that uh, men's general sentiment towards women was probably more progressive in 1984 than it was in 19-fucking-19 or whenever the first right. one took place. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, and it's also, like, it's the film kind of poses it not as, like, a problem with men, but as a problem with her not being willing to move on and you're like i don't know i it, it's it's a little it's a little it's a little cliche you know like a, a a romantic cliche taken to like the extreme of it being 60 years and she hasn't changed appearance kind of and, and she's still pining over pine <laughs> pining over yeah. pine, pine. Yeah. yeah i mean it is also interesting too that like we're we're really set up with this thing going back to kind of the wishes because there's a lot that you guys brought up there. Uh, going back to the wishes, yeah, there is no consistent like there's no corresponding logic to what is lost in relation to what is gained. So it didn't. It, it seemed arbitrary that like somehow there's a consciousness maybe behind this stone that's like, oh, okay, well if you get this, then we're just going to like pick something that is going to diminish you. Maybe it's like the thing that's most precious to you. Is that kind of the thing? Maybe that's... That, they don't that's actually kind of... explicitly say that. They say something that's important to you. Yeah, something that's important to you. So, I mean, I guess that's kind of it. But to me, I guess what the theme was, it's a super abstract theme, but it's... And this goes back to the very opening... Uh, competition, which is that I think what the moral is, is that you can't take shortcuts, right? You have to work hard. If you take shortcuts, that's cheating... Cheating um, will not actually accomplish what you really need. So you can't have the easy way out. And somebody says that at the end, I believe. And of Diana. course, is this... Diana says that at the end. Okay. And of course, is that like super cheesy and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But you know what? There's also a nefarious logic to it as well, which is kind of... And I hate to be that dude, but this is who I am. The listeners know who I am. But there's also something very, I think, seductive with regards to a sort of like capitalist consumerist logic into this as well, which is this very much like uh, everything is about uh, your meritocratic uh, endeavors. Like put in the work, you get back the work, that there is this corresponding, the only way that the world can operate is this like linear relation between work hard and receive what your due is, right? And that anything you do is viewed as a shortcut. And even though it isn't mentioned in this film, it just hits me so hard because of so many people that are like, oh, you guys want free healthcare. Where, where do you think that's going to come from? You can't take an easy way out. You got to just earn it. You got to work hard and go get a job and da 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 And you see this constant, constantly by like online politicians who are trying to shit and any sort of like progressive social welfare programs is they'll be like, oh, what? Everyone's just going to have a job now? And you like pause for a second. You're like, well, actually, economists do talk about a federal job guarantee all the time as something that is a viable economic program. And so I feel like that even though this film isn't intentionally speaking to the politics of it, I feel like it's there as like an undercurrent. And to me, that just kind of made me feel a little yucky. It's it's really present. It's yeah. a fundamentally like conservative film. But what's weird is that it's set in 1984 and the film thinks it's functioning as like a critique of 1980s. Reagan's America. Capitalism. Yeah, yeah Reagan's America. Yeah. But at the same time, what it's really saying is like, 
well, no, like, don't try to get rich too quick. Everything's fine. Like, <laughs> um, and yeah. Every, well, the, the, even at the end when she, she lassos the fucking TV or whatever and she tells everyone over the, over the Sunshine broadcast that the world is a perfect place and renounce your wish. And like, no, I think you're, you're hitting on something very accurate, Austin and uh, Amanda, that, that like there is, there's something very pernicious about this film politically, that it is just a ringing endorsement of the status quo. And it would be a lot easier to write off if, uh, if Maxwell Lord weren't so clearly being modeled after Donald Trump, um, that it, all of the bad shit in this movie only yeah. happens when, people come to a leadership figure who is clearly modeled after Donald Trump and ask for things mm. or wish for things or want their, their lives to be ameliorated or, uh, or, or bettered in some way. Like it's just really fucking exhausting, especially knowing that this was supposed to come out, you know, before the election or whatever. And I just, I just imagine them sitting around and thinking, Oh, this is, this is finally going to be the thing to take down the orange man or what. It's just like, it's. It, I don't know. It. It just. It and feels like such a. Needed to be respected by his son for him to be a good person. Like it just. It just. Yeah. It's so. For a movie that is is painting him as the ultimate evil, they do more to make him a sympathetic figure than they do Diana. Yeah, and it's also. I mean, going back to even just the willy nilly nature of this uh, stone, is that like okay so. Um, what's his name? Uh, pa uh, Pascal. Uh, uh, Pedro Pascal. Pedro, yeah. So he, I, I'm calling them all by the actor's name, maybe because my like suspension of disbelief just never happened in this film. So to me, it's like Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Pedro Pascal. They're not characters. But so he wishes to be like basically like the most powerful man on earth who can do whatever he wants. And then he loses his health. And then, like, later in the film, he also is kind of losing his kid, but there's no, like, clear cause in it. There's no rules. And it's, it's just, it's very, it's almost like every choice they made was what was, like, most convenient for the screenwriters rather than than setting up any kind of, like, like it was just very lazy, like, world building. Which is, I'm sorry, that kind of went off tangent from what you were saying, Raymond. Um but yeah, no, I also agree that the politics of the film are super weird. Like she's like, she's like, hey, I'm the most powerful non-person on earth besides Pedro Pascal right now. So just like everybody, like your life is beautiful, even if you're like a kid with an abusive right. father, like just exactly. you can't take a shortcut to making your life better. We can't as a society maybe start to like be more like provide more support to working class families so that their lives are better it's just like no the truth is the truth and yeah, well that's the thing is like yeah s s dot b dot in the chat just said i wish my cancer was gone yes. one hour later i renounce my I wish, renounce my wish. Just, like there are gonna <laughs> people in the movie only shows people wishing for bad things i would say a lot of people in the world who have you know reached out and touched maxwell lord through the broadcast probably wished for yeah. you know normal i wish things. i wish my family like, had a house i wish that the wars would stop <laughs> uh, i wish my son would return home uh, i wish that like yeah i wonder that too it was kind of like no everything is perfect the way it is wait just go back to normal and this is that same sort of like centrist liberal thing that they've been telling us for the last couple years it's like just get us back to normal and i'm like well, what's normal when we're drone striking children in yemen is that what's normal that's what we want so like what is this normal that you want to go back to rampant poverty um droughts and famine and pestilence and uh you know slave labor in uh, the democratic republic of congo and like like hyper exploitation and people jumping out of fucking buildings and the foxconn towers like like what is it that that we're trying to get back to here and they just completely brush that aside. That's also something that they totally gloss over. I don't know if y'all realize this, or Amanda, you probably spotted it since you've been, you know, doing a... But I, they put it right in front of the camera, so I don't necessarily know that you'd have to do a deep dive to, to notice it. But in an early montage, when I think it's after the mall fight scene, she goes back to her apartment, and there's all these pictures of her with the boys from World War One, And then there's a picture of her with a bunch of people at a, a concentration camp, it appears. they're They're wearing, like you know, the, the quote-unquote striped pajamas, like, it looks like she's in a, f a photograph having liberated a concentration camp. 
And I think that that decision is just indicative of how thoughtless a lot of this movie was overall, that they just, they raise the specter of something like that, and they don't bother to scrutinize, like, why on earth this woman was willing to go halfway around the fucking world to punch Danny Houston in World War One, but she couldn't do something about Hitler until people were getting, like, shuffled into fucking gas chambers. It's just, like, a really, really bizarre thing to just raise the specter of a tragedy like that and not confront it at all, or not confront the, like, how derelict she's been in her duties as uh, a savior of humanity or you know if this is if this is her whole thing like the whole first movie is about how I need to end war by going and killing Ares like World War One was a really you know complicated clusterfuck there weren't a lot of clear good guys and bad guys uh, World War Two had a pretty clear fucking bad guy like she you know killing one dude during World War Two or before World War Two started when there were plenty of reasons to kill him would have had a like a serious effect. It's just it's just so strange to me that they would just put that in there without any thought to what it would imply about the character. And I think that is like I said, it's indicative of a lot of the choices they make in this film. They just they do like a surface level thing that that makes sense uh, when you when you consider all of the the world's ills, like you were saying, Austin, as set dressing. But if you if you scrutinize it for two seconds, it's just really weird. Well, and this goes to what Ando, uh, Amanda was kind of hinting at earlier, I think. With um, and and I wonder if it has to do with the fact that this is one of the difficulties of making a four quadrant film. When you're trying to make a film that is for every demographic, for every person, that offends no one, that appeals to everyone, um, that is for adults and children and people of all kinds of diverse backgrounds and histories, when you try to do that, you've got to water a lot of stuff down, right? And in so doing, like. Is it, is it enough, for example, Max's relationship with his child? Is it enough to give us just those two scenes where the kid is upset? Because maybe children will be like, oh, I understand when I'm upset. And so that's, that's just enough for, for people, for kids at least, to like plug in and be like, okay, I get that story. That's, Max is a bad guy because he's a bad dad. And then maybe it's enough for an adult because an adult is like, okay, I understand it. But like exactly like Raymond just said, once you start putting on your analytical hat, then you start saying, well, wait a second. These quite superficial, very heavy-handed sentimental themes crumble under any sort of logical scrutiny. Definitely. I'm going back to something Raymond said like very uh, – like like maybe two minutes ago um, that I was thinking about. It's been bo- – like the Kristen Wiig figure is just driving me bananas. Probably the first thing that bothers <laughs> me most about this film is that Chris Pine is randomly in some man's body with no explanation and that then later he and Diana are flirtatious, the, the, the guy back in his body. And then the second thing that bugs me the most is like the Kristen Wiig character because she doesn't really wish for something that pernicious. She wishes for people to stop in inexplicably hating her like that's really all and then she doesn't happen to realize that in like wishing to be like the most popular girl at school she's wishing to have all these crazy powers so she kind of gets fucked over by like losing her humanity when really Mm. all she wanted to be was not the loser at work so it just yeah like her intention wasn't like max lord yeah Right. Yeah, she she doesn't know that Diana is is Wonder Woman. She just thinks Diana's really nifty, and she goes, "Man, I wish I was like her." Like, yeah, I wish not... I didn't get harassed at met by men at the park and have not be able to do anything about it. And then it's like it's a the, the, a scene that really also confounds me is when she does reencounter the like sexual predator on the street and like just like beats him to a pulp. And I wasn't sure what I was supposed to feel about that because, like, the Wonder Woman series in general does, like, have its share of kind of, like, girl powery moments. You know, like, the little girl at the mall sees Diana. For some reason, she's, like, the only person who seems to really see Diana except the men that she's destroying. And, like, they share a wink, like, don't tell anybody, even though she's been, like, in broad daylight in a mall. But anyway, that's completely irrelevant. But, like, it... it, (laughs) Like... A woman, like, being able to stand off, like, a man who has previously harassed her, like, could actually, like, be a kind of empowering moment. And they make it really weird by having her just beat the shit out of him. And I know it's, like, supposed to be a sign of her losing her humanity, but it's, like, she didn't wish for anything that, like, like, like you said, Austin, like, she didn't wish to be all powerful. Like, she just wished to be, like, normal. 
Yeah, and and not only does she beat the shit out of him, but then she also gets to that moment where the the homeless guy that she kind of has had befriended pre- previously is kind of like, "What the hell are you doing?" And then she's like, "Oh God, I'm the bad person now." So then it's like, okay, so wait a second. Is it bad to stand up for yourself? Is it bad to exact this type of revenge? Is uh, is punitive justice, is that just essentially bad? So I feel like there's a lot of like really heavy themes that are kind of squeezed into that one single moment that don't allow her to have any sort of genuine autonomy, which is, I think, mm-hmm. what the film was trying to get at, right? So it, it, it's like either will you just become a punitive, maniacal, like over-the-top uh, punisher – or you're like you're just scared uh, in the like, park every day. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and so there's nothing to actually grab onto. Real quick, before uh, I pass the mic over to Raymond or back to Amanda, we got to give a shout out to our other sponsor for this episode, which is Magic Spoon. You've heard me talk about Magic Spoon in the past. I'm a bit of a fitness dude. I work out a lot. Uh, I'm always trying to eat healthy, although not at the moment, and I will explain why at the end of the show. But when I get back on my health grind, Magic Spoon is great for that. Um, I'm freaking addicted to cereal. Cereal is my weakness. I've got a box of Lucky Charms uh, in my thing, in my uh, my cupboard at the moment and that's like my go-to and it's the one that I always feel guilty about eating. That's why Magic Spoon is great because it's delicious cereal that doesn't have all the sugar and it has no carbs, well three grams, three net grams of carbs which is essentially nothing when you're eating that, right? And 11 grams of protein which you don't normally find in cereal. Um, It's absolutely fantastic. It tastes amazing. They've got four flavors, the cocoa, the fruity, the frosted, and the blueberry. I'm a big chocolate head, so give me that cocoa all day. Uh, it really does taste amazing. It's also, and this is where the health stuff comes in, these are the buzzwords, everybody. It's keto-friendly. It's gluten-free. It's grain-free. It's soy-free. It's low-carb and GMO-free. So if you are obsessed with cereal as much as I am, if you are looking for a healthy alternative for breakfast or for dinner, who says you have to only eat cereal at breakfast, go to magicspoon.com slash show me, and you can grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use the promo code show me at checkout, and you will save five bucks off of your order. That is magicspoon.com slash show me, and use the promo code show me at checkout to save five bucks. Also, they're so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So magicspoon.com slash show me and use the code show me at checkout. Of course, there's a link for that below as well. Okay, let's kick it back over to the team. Uh, Raymond, did you want to respond to what Amanda was saying on the previous side of the ad? Or is there another point you want to kind of throw into the to the fray? Uh, I mean, I think... I think we've talked a lot about the problematic aspects of this film, uh, of which there seem to be many, um, but we haven't really touched on the just, well, we have touched on it, but not really explored just the, some of the more baffling aspects of it. Like uh, Chris Pine uh, comes back and he's wowed by an underground train, despite the fact that those had existed for like 50 years when he was alive. Um, And then uh, he, he was able to fly a, a prop plane uh, in World War One, which qualifies him somehow to fly a fucking jet plane out of a museum where there's no chance of it having a full tank that of gas. Whole, like, that whole sequence for me <laughs> dragged on way too long. The the Diana and Trevor getting back into it and her introducing him to the world, it was about, like, uh, they could have done it in a third of the time, and I think it would have been punchier and it would have been funner. Like, do, like, a friggin', you know, montage with... The Pretty Woman soundtrack or something like that, you know? Like, uh, I don't know. It it very much, like, became a rom-com with, like, out explanation for, like, yeah. 25 minutes, and you just had to accept it. And also, like, speaking of baffling, all of a sudden, because she tries really hard, she can turn a plane invisible when the most she had ever done was a coffee cup. Like, all of a sudden, she can <laughs> fly. It's just, it it it's very, um... I think it just was fundamentally like lazy screenwriting, which is weird because there were like five screenwriters. Well, it's it's also one of those things uh, in the invisible, you know, Wonder Woman has the invisible jet in the comics and it's like a really stupid thing in the comics, but it seems even dumber when you try to just throw that out into an otherwise realistic universe. Um, 
in in much the same way that they just gloss over other atrocities that happened in the time that Wonder Woman has been walking amongst men. They could have just said like, we need to get to Egypt and then just cut to Egypt. Just like, but I, I think it's not just a laziness in screenwriting or, or a lack of capability in screenwriting. I think that they are going for, you know, the, the invisible jet sequence is what sets up them flying through the field of fireworks, which is kind of a cool image and a cool visual conceit or idea but they don't really earn it. And it's another one of those situations where Chris Pine goes like, what is this new devilry? And it's like, it's fireworks, dude. They've been around since, since like, literally the ancient 10th century. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, there's, and, and then when they get to, uh, I don't know when, when Kristen Wig, Kristen Wig has the power of like super strength. And she, I mean, she, she wishes to be like Diana and all of a sudden she's got a bunch of superpowers. And then she gets on the jet with Pedro Pascal and she, and he goes, well, do you have another wish? I'm I'm feeling generous. Blah blah blah. And she goes, Yeah, I um, I also want to look like shit. Apparently, like, no, she's like, this... I want to be the maximum predator. Yeah, she says she wants to be an apex predator. But I'm like, what? What do you think? At what point is she? And I know that you know it's like an absolute power corrupts absolutely thing. But she's already got a bunch of superpowers. What is it in her mind that she's like, Hey, let's just turn this one up to eleven, and then while you're at it make me into a cat (laughs) it just doesn't make any fucking sense when things are going good though you don't think rationally it's that lizard brain thing that takes over I don't know I'm just trying to give some sort of rationality here just so that we don't completely dismiss the possibility I'm trying to think like what were they thinking in their mind they're like ooh like she's she's so corrupted she's lost her humanity she's not thinking with a quote human rational brain so she's just like I want more I want more I want more and then what's the more based on the trajectory that she's heading apex predator maybe i don't know i don't know it's also like oh sorry oh no i was just gonna say in that same scene where uh wonder woman descends in the the golden suit of armor to fight cheetah at the end it it just it feels like another one of those instances of just kind of like aiming for iconography without really earning it um because they set up that suit of armor you know, really late in the film and they just go, Hey, what's that thing in the back of your closet wrapped up? And she goes, Oh, that's a really fancy suit of armor. And, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll wear it one day. (laughs) Like it just, it's just, it's very weirdly planted. They don't really, you know, they don't have the patience or the, the, uh, the the time to set it up in a way that makes it pay off in a, in a major way that like I think of the first one the no man's land sequence when she drops the trench coat and she's revealed in like the Wonder Woman armor for the first you know real I think you see her in it before but the 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 big reveal when she comes into her own as a hero is when she leads them across no man's land during World War One and that's a great moment and it's uh, uh, there's it's like immediately iconic seeing her in that armor for the first time or in that, that wardrobe for the first time. And it feels like them trying to do something similar to that, where it's like, we want that big moment where she's got the golden wings or whatever, but it's just, it's so clumsily set up, you know, it's just, it's just, oh, that's just a thing that's been in my closet. Someone mailed it to me at one point. I have no idea. You know, it's almost like this film is so baffling that if it didn't have like a multi-hundred million dollar budget, it could maybe succeed as like camp. Like, sure. <laughs> you know, it's just like there's there's all these choices where you're like, you know, what were they thinking? And that makes sense when you're watching a movie that was like two million dollars. But when there's like the I, I don't know. Um, I was also thinking about like Chris Pine, you know, not recognizing fireworks and Obviously, they're mirroring, like, Diana coming into 1918 and being like, what the hell is going on in this world? But the whole point of her kind of naivety is that she, like, can sense, suss things out about this world that other people can't. And with Chris Pine, the entire arc is like, the 80s are dope. So glad I got to wear a visor. I'm good now. I can go back to wherever the the hell I was. <laughs> and there's no, there's no, like, there, there's, I mean, not that you, like, necessarily demand character growth from, like, a very dead dude, but it just, it's it feels very happenstance. It, it just, yeah, it just feels sloppy. I don't know. Yeah, I also didn't think that they really made the 80s look that dope. Like, the the 80s, you know, are, are in vogue in a lot of media right now, you know? And... 
Um, you know, look at something like Stranger Things that makes it seem so freaking cool and, and we're, we're already primed to want to celebrate whether it's like poorly nostalgically or whether there's something interesting about the power of uh, memory and nostalgia. That's a separate debate, which we could also get into. But regardless of, of the judgment of it, they, I don't even think they did a good job of making the world seem cool. Like, I was kind of like, oh, shit, like, I was born in the 80s, and I kind of have a little bit of a fantasy about 80s music, 80s fashion, uh, the soundtracks that come out of the 80s. Like, I like the 80s stuff, and I'm watching this, and I'm kind of like, meh, what, a fanny pack? Like, is that supposed to be the thing? Mm. Oh, the funky <laughs> the funky clothes, the one outfit that Chris Pine really likes, and then the dude at the end of the scene, or the, the, the guy that's actually in the body, that they wear the same outfit? Like, that's, is that the 80s? That's what the cool part of the 80s is? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't even think they made it cool, you know? totally this is also another kind of like leap but it's just something that's really bothering me is that like obviously because she's a female superhero she triumphs not through like strength but through like her empathy and like Ah. emotional persuasiveness at the end and there's no actual like fight scene between her and this guy who apparently has the power to wish anything in the world for himself so like what kind what what could be a more formidable enemy than 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 Pedro Pascal at that moment, you know? And <laughs> instead they're like, "Hey, let's lasso you with the truth and then I'll make a really persuasive, actually kind of dumb speech." And Do you that's- think that do you think they were trying to make it that she outwitted him, that she outsmarted him and that that's I think she like out a- out out compassioned him. Like she had more compassion more less, for the people yeah. than he did. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading an interview with Patty Jenkins where she said it was really important for her to end the movie with a conversation rather than a fight and show that uh, heroism is not all about brawn. Um, it's not all about who can punch the hardest. But uh, yeah, I think you're onto something there, Amanda. It's 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 about who can outcompassion whom. I think that's work that that has worked in movies to really great effect. I think of uh, there are two movies in um, the Leica. Um, oeuvre uh, uh, Paranorman and uh, Kubo and the Two Strings both end with the heroes essentially like empathizing with the antagonist and you know finding some shared humanity and and like teaching them to be compassionate in in a moment of peak Um, but this one yeah I mean I don't necessarily know that she should punch a hole through his head but it would have been cool to see him put up a fight like you said amanda he can wish anything to existence he he may as well be the green lantern at that point he can he can manifest whatever um as long as someone else wishes for it that may be the thing that holds him back from doing a bunch of crazy stuff but i don't know i i I agree with you it's it's it, it does seem anticlimactic i think she could have you know, maybe found found a way to to walk that line a little bit more. And it becomes almost a little bit comical when, like, one passionate speech can convince everybody in the world and also convince Pedro Pascal to give up, like, what they wanted most in the world because she's like, well, that's not the yeah. truth. You're not actually a millionaire. You're, like, you're not actually not suffering from cancer. <laughs> like... Yeah, and they're like, "Oh my God, you're the, right. I'm living a lie." <laughs> like I renounce. Yeah, just, poor, yeah. like <laughs> like we were talking about earlier. Pour one out for all the the folks who wished themselves well again yeah. and then had to die in order to uh, appease. Diana's, no, uh, Raymond. They just they just had to not take a shortcut. They just had to go the long <laughs> route and work really hard to overcome. <laughs> That's what the film is trying to teach us. And it is, like, really pernicious. I know we've talked about the, like, it's really pernicious, like, the idea that anybody, like, that, that you can, that, you know, wanting to make your life better is a shortcut and that everyone can, like, make themselves better if they, like, work hard enough like Diana did on the Amazonian island. Yeah, and here's I I hear a lot of folks talk about Wonder Woman and Superman, especially in the context of you know all the big superhero movies that have come out in recent years. That some superheroes just have too much power and they're not interesting because they're invulnerable. But the reason I've always liked Superman is because he may be invulnerable, but what he stands for is very vulnerable, and it, it's just one of those things that like with this movie. 
they just kind of miss that. They, they, they miss that sort of appeal to decency. And there is, I mean, the movie literally ends with an appeal to decency or an appeal to the status quo, but it just doesn't, it, it, it rings very hollow. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know how to, how to pick through it because it seems like a lot of the things that make Wonder Woman an exciting character are, are, are the same things that make Superman an exciting character, that he's a, a, a decent uh, invulnerable or, or infallible person in a, a very, very flawed world. And this movie is just kind of like Diana going, eh, well, fuck it, whatever, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> shit's going to suck. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, just, just get over it. Things will be fine for me, I guess. <laughs> well, let's, let's the, leave, let's leave the conversation there. Cause we've only got a few minutes left and we got to jump into the mailbag. I'm sure there's so much more that we could rant about that we could pull <laughs> apart. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. There's also a really fundamental like Cartesian dualism here with regards to souls and bodies with the Trevor body switch thing that I have a <laughs> fundamental philosophical problem with. But I know yeah. our audience probably doesn't want to hear me go off on some sort of uh, rant about the problems with Cartesian philosophy. But you can Google that stuff or you can always hit me up on my Twitter if you want to know more about that. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump into the mailbag before we send you off to your days. Um, if you want... Everyone that's out there listening, remember, you can call us or you can email us. You can call us at 1-213-534-8807. That's 1-213-534-8807, and you can leave us a voicemail like the following one that is presented to us by Hans, who's going to talk to us about Ready Player One. So Hans, give us your thoughts. Hey guys, this is Hans from New York. Just want to say I love the work you do. Really enjoy listening to all your reviews and stuff. And one day I hope you, you dive deeper into TV and video games with these podcasts. But I wanted to ask you guys a question about the Ready Player One uh, section and how we talked about in the book and in the, the movie, the, um, the group, the gang inevitably take control of Oasis. And the question I believe Austin had was, what now? What next? Um, and while I haven't read the next book, it did remind me of something posed on one of your podcasts long, long ago, talking about The Matrix Reloaded and the artist's critique and how inevitably in The Matrix Reloaded, the architect explains to Neo how he's not really a rebel, but he is a form of rebellion that has been co-opted by the system and, and how all sort of rebellions might be authentic at first, but inevitably become co-opted by the system. I was wondering if you guys could talk a little bit more about that, either in that context or just um, as a concept in general that you see in films. Thanks, Hans. Amanda, did you see Ready Player One? I have not. I'll, I'll sit this one out. <laughs> okay, okay. Raymond, what do you think, brother? Um, I think uh, he hits on something interesting. Um, you know, they they don't touch on... Uh, on that sort of stuff too much in the movie. Um, in the book, they talk about how like everyone has essentially given up on government um, and the only elections anyone cares about anymore are the ones that take place within the Oasis. Um, so I think the book has much more of a nihilist streak to it, whereas the the movie itself uh, just kind of ends with this notion of like, well, we're going to close the uh, the Oasis for two days and things will get better as a result. And it, it never really acknowledges that like, None of these problems are going away. Um, there's like now a different group of people who are in charge of the Oasis. Uh, I haven't read the second book, like Han said. I don't know where it goes from there. In the book, there is at least some appeal to uh, creating a, a greater sense of equality in the world, that Artemis is really adamant that they need to use their resources to uh, provide housing and food for folks and, and like change the status quo significantly and that's one of uh parzival's big things in the book is coming around to that sort of idealism uh whereas he always just wanted to take the money and like he says his dream is to, like build a spaceship and float around in orbit with all the movies ever made and just live out the rest of his days isolated from humanity um so i i don't know i think the movie the, the movie and book are just too like 
too messy and too unclear with any regard to like what they're actually trying to communicate or say there's some lip service to it in the book that the movie kind of foregoes in the interest of just doing like wham bam pow bunch of green screen i I, I don't know i don't even know if that answers the question sorry sorry (laughs) no yeah i I don't really have too many thoughts about that um i think uh if it is the sort of thing that like would it be what in the sequel if there's a sequel or in the book that somehow that they become a part of the oasis system but it just doesn't seem that way because we're not talking about a simulation right so it's quite different and they are definitely outside they're the ones who are the decision makers right so unless it were some sort of like matrix world where everything is supposedly simulation simulacra obviously uh based on the baudrillard work is what the wachowskis were going for um then then it might make sense that there's a similar kind of theme i just don't think that that's what they're gonna do with ready player one i don't really think that it's kind of the same I don't really think it's the same beast that they're dealing with. You know, I, I think it'll be really interesting because they will have an autonomy. They will have um, a, a, a sense of making willful decisions about the future of this program. And I think that's then what's going to create the intrigue in the next one, right? Is how are they going to govern? What problems are they going to run into as the governors of this system? And, but we'll see. I don't know. I'm totally speculating because, again, I haven't read the book and there is no sequel film yet. So... Okay, um, we got to close off, but I do just want to quickly read uh, an email because I want to give people a taste of emails, and this one is kind of foreshadowing for us as well. So if you want, you can also email us. You don't have to just simply call us in. You can email us, movies at wisecrack.co, not .com. That's movies at wisecrack.co. And um, Juan Pablo sent uh, a message, and I just want to say just real quickly because, again, as I said, this is kind of foreshadowing for something, and it's also a don't worry, JP, hold on, we're coming. Uh, She said, just want to congratulate congratulate you for your work and I also want to know if it's possible for the team to make an analysis of the movie Tenet. I just loved the whole idea of time bending, not actually travel to a different point in space-time, but changing space-time according to the flow you choose to follow. The movie's weird in many ways, but it is a piece of art. LOL. As Nolan fan, I think this movie is Nolan's at its finest in storytelling without telling much about the characters. It's the best action, time-bending, Bond-slash-espionage movie, and I think this is a piece of modern cinema that people will appreciate more in the future. Real quick, JP... It's coming in a couple of weeks. We will talk about Tenant. The last thing I want to say is if you have a 10-second thing before we start to close the show, uh, Amanda, Raymond, what do you think about Tenant? Are you excited to talk about it? What can you say to people for a couple weeks from now when we delve into Tenant? I, I, I'm going to be su- – this is the lamest 10 seconds of the entire podcast. I haven't seen it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I also have not watched Tenet yet. Uh, it just came out on VOD recently, but I'm, I'm also not, I'm not a big fan of Christopher Nolan. So I kind of (laughs) was waiting for us to, to cover it in order to, I wasn't, I probably wouldn't watch it if we weren't going to cover it. Interesting. Um, Maybe I'd eventually get around to it, but. Interesting. I saw it in theaters. I don't know that it's a great film, but I thought it was kind of interesting. And I have heard from friends that the more you watch it and the less you lower or the more you lower your expectations and you just kind of try to enjoy it as a Bond espionage film with a huge budget where they blow up an airplane, then it actually becomes more and more fun. So I'm actually excited to watch it a second time just simply for that. So maybe maybe that will help people. Don't go in with super expectations that it's going to be super clever and it's going to all be stitched together with its mind-bending story. Go into it thinking Bond, espionage, fun, they blow up a plane, Christopher Nolan has a huge budget, he's one of the only filmmakers that can do that. Voila. There it is. We got to stop talking about Tenet. It's coming up in a couple weeks. Raymond, do you want to give a shout out to what we got coming up next week real quick? Yeah, next week we're covering uh, Disney Pixar's Soul, starring uh, Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey. Uh, I did watch that one. I thought it was pretty good. I'm excited to talk about it next week. Cool. All right. So check out Soul so you can be caught up with us for next week. Amanda, where can people find you on the interwebs in the meantime? I tweet quarterly at Twitter, Amanda Shirker, and I write (laughs) a ton of movies, of videos for Wisecracks. So just watch them all and you'll see me eventually. Or hear my voice. <laughs> awesome, right. Raymond, what about you, brother? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematoria, C-R-E-A-M-A-T-O-R-I-A. Um, if you uh, give me a follow on uh, Twitter or Letterboxd, say hi. I'd, uh, I'm always uh, happy to talk movies with folks. And I just want to give a quick shout out. Of course, I do a philosophy podcast, Owls at Dawn. You can find me on Twitter, Insta, all that shit. But um, I've got a really exciting project coming up. I'm starring in Sam Shepard's classic play, True West. 
that we are putting on hey. here in Sydney. Because in Sydney, theater is a thing that is happening because we have like zero cases at the moment. So uh, live theater is happening. It's social distance. People will be wearing masks and things like that. But, but so, Austin, um, yeah, go ahead. America's the best. That is so cool that you can do theater. I know. It's honestly, it's been the thing that has given me life uh, in the midst of this, that I'm still able to go to the theater and that I'm able to actually still be in the theater. But I wanted to let people know if you're in Sydney, it runs from the 3rd through the 7th of February with the preview night on the 2nd, which is a Tuesday night. But if you're not in Sydney, uh, I'd freaking love it if you actually tuned into our live stream. We have two live streams op options on the Saturday the 6th. There's a matinee show and then there's an evening show. And so if you purchase a ticket for for the live stream, you can either watch it live or because of time differences, you can access it for up to a week after the show as well. It's $15 Australian, which is like $12 or $11 US and it's like nine pounds British and like 10 euros. So it's cheap as chips. Um, but yeah, if you tune into it, it's a classic play. It's one of the best American plays that's ever been written. It's about family drama. It's about these two brothers who are thrown back into their house. It deals with a little bit with like masculinity, some of the problems with masculinity, and then also trying to figure out, you know, your identity uh, coming out of a traumatic family relationship. If you know Sam Shepard's work at all, you kind of get what I'm talking about. If you don't know Sam Shepard's work, please, God, read about Sam Shepard. He was a brilliant playwright, passed away a couple years ago from Lou Gehrig's disease. But True West, you can go to the website, truewestsydney.com, or you can follow us on Insta, which is truewest2021. So, but it would mean a lot if you tuned in. So, yeah, yeah. Acting is my first love. Congratulations, it's a, man. been a couple years since I've been on the stage. Yeah. No, thank you. So, yeah, check that shit out. So, yeah. Okay. We're out of here. That's all I got to plug. Raymond, can you sign us out, brother? Uh, sure. Um, hmm. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I know the I know the line I'm just dying. Uh, uh, goodbye uh, from Hollywood, California. 1984. Uh, show, show me the, me the dream, dream stone. stone. <laughs>